Before we consider today's scripture reading and today's message, I just want to share words of gratitude and appreciation for everyone who's a part of ministry here at the church. Folks who are doing ministry in the youth building with our children's ministry upstairs at both hours. Our technology team for connecting us both live and people who catch up later on through podcasts or on social media. I want to thank you for our worship team for leading us so beautifully. Our hospitality team who continues to faithfully serve when it gets well over 100 degrees. That's an extra jewel in your crown in heaven. I'm authorized to say that. Whenever the heat is over 100 and humidity is that high, that's one extra jewel. So thank you so much. My name is Lance Marshall. I'm the senior pastor here at the First United Methodist Church of Fort Worth. And I have had some very lucky experiences in my life. And I wish I was making a Powerball announcement right now, but I'm not. But I've had some very significant moments of luck in my life. One, I just happened to be born into a very functional and loving family. That's just luck. You don't get to control that. That was very lucky, and the dividends continue to pay for that uh, well into my adulthood. I also happen to be very lucky in that I happened to find my best friend, the love of my life, when I was a sophomore in high school. That's just luck. That doesn't happen for everybody. Some of y'all are thinking back on your sophomore classes in high school and going, nope, Prince Charming, not in there. (laughs) I just happened to meet my person at that point in life that's so incredibly lucky And I actually also happen to have a very lucky experience when it comes to the development of my faith, me becoming the person of faith that I am today. And not just my beliefs, but my ability to wholeheartedly trust in the presence and the power and the providence of God. And for those of you who know my story, just real briefly, a little bit of background, was taken to church as a young person, didn't really stick. By the time I'm in high school or college, not a Christian at all, early on in my young adulthood, I go searching for real meaning, real purpose, something not only worth living for, but worth dying for. And I find that in Christianity, specifically the kind of Christ following that orients you towards a life of humility and service for the kingdom of heaven. It's changing my life, and it's happening mostly through some wonderful preachers that I'm finding in the early days of podcasts, some very thought-provoking books that I'm reading, and I've realized, I've read just enough Bible, I've kind of learned just enough that spiritual growth is meant to happen in community. It's not meant to be something that just happens on your own, so it's time for me to find a church. I actually decided I wanted to shop for denominations before I went looking for any one individual church. And when you're a single man in your early 20s, you're a very attractive church free agent. They're willing, everyone's excited to have you come check them out when you're at that phase in your life. And I knew I wanted to be a part of a denomination, not just an independent congregation, but a larger group of people that was bound together by common purpose. I knew I wanted to be a part of a denomination that had high expectations for accountability and education and preparation for its clergy leaders, yet at the same time had a lot of lay leadership and input from everyday members of the church. I wanted to be a part of a community that was very open-minded to theological inquiry and education. I didn't know the word grace yet, but once I found it, I realized that's exactly what I was looking for as well. I wanted to be a part of an international denomination. I wanted to be a part of a denomination that had shown fruitfulness and faithfulness over decades, if not hundreds of years. So I found all of those things only in United Methodism. And so I realized I wanted to be a United Methodist before I found any individual United Methodist congregation. So I went and found a United Methodist congregation, just one close by to where I happened to be living at the time. And when I really started immersing my life in church, I mean, going every single Sunday, being very faithful, I realized that that church was doing a lot of things that made me uncomfortable. 
The church was doing a whole bunch of things that were outside of my comfort zone. Frankly, they were things I was not interested in doing. For example, I would wake up, I would get more nicely dressed than I otherwise would at that early on a Sunday morning. Uh, my preferred thing to do on Sunday morning is nothing. Um, but instead, I was going to church. And I would go there, and I would get situated, and I would have my cup of coffee, and I would just start getting comfortable. And then they would go and ruin it by asking all of us to stand and start singing. <laughs> if you don't come from a church background, that is bonkers. How many situations in your life do you gather together with some people? Imagine going to a business meeting at a new company where you've just been hired, and they meet in the conference room, and they go, okay, everybody, let's stand and face in the same direction and sing for a little bit. You don't know the words, doesn't matter, here goes. And they just start singing. And I was just so uncomfortable. I didn't know the tunes. I didn't know the words. I can't carry a tune in a bucket. It made me uncomfortable. And of course, I always happen to be randomly standing next to Pavarotti. So now I'm really self-conscious about that. <laughs> so I would give them the courtesy stand. But that was it. Just the courtesy stand. That's all I would give. I wouldn't sing. They were doing all this, all this other stuff. They were wanting to pray all the time. They were wanting to hold hands when they prayed. I, I, I don't know. They were wanting to read the Bible all the time. They were even wanting me to read the Bible on my own, so I needed to go, like, buy one. <laughs> they were always trying to get me to do stuff. They were always trying to get me to show up to stuff, to be a part of things. I'm, I'm not a joiner. I'm not a joiner. That's not what I'm looking for. That's not what I'm into church for. What I'm here for is the completely transformed life, the life full of purpose, meaning, power, and presence every single day. I'm looking for salvation not only here but in the life to come, but I'm not looking to, like, do a bunch. <laughs> Can anybody relate? And this is where I get lucky because no one told me to do this. I didn't receive counsel from a wise elder. I didn't hear an amazing sermon. There's something clicked in my brain that maybe they're inviting me to do all of these things for a reason. Maybe they're inviting me to do this kind of stuff for a purpose. Maybe there's something to it. Maybe something will happen if I do. Because let's be frank, I do not desire to do this. I do not want to do this. I don't even have all my requisite beliefs in order yet. However, maybe something will happen in my life if I do, so I'll give it a shot. So that's what I started to do. I started to actually stand and sing in the services. In the very beginning of your hymnal, those of you who are OG Methodists know there's instructions for singing from John Wesley, aren't they, from 1761. Uh, instruction number three says, you know, sing heartily, join the congregation. If this is a cross for you, pick it up and do it anyway. What he's saying is, if you don't like singing, do it anyway. <laughs> and so I said, okay, John. And so I started singing and singing heartily. And then I started joining in the prayers. People were speaking some prayers out loud. I started to out loud lift up prayers, not only for myself, but for others. I started to take that pattern of prayer into my life at home. I started reading scripture, not only in the service, the stuff that we were doing, but going through some reading plans, spending time on it on my own. And then I started to do other weird things. Like, so for example, I walked out service one day and they had a sign there at the church and it said, upcoming men's retreat. And I thought, well, I'm a men's. 
But the church that I was at, and I, it, they, had a, they had a contemporary worship service, but I was always in the traditional service. I, I wanted to be a part of the traditional service. And I, I just knew pretty quickly that I'm in my mid-20s, and that's probably not going to be the makeup of the men's retreat, right? It's probably going to be, we'll say, multi-generational. But I go on the retreat, and it's way outside of my comfort zone. And they're wanting to talk all the time about their lives and about what Jesus is doing in their life. And they're wanting to really kind of dig deep. And they're really good guys, and they're really kind guys. This is outside of my comfort zone. This is not my comfort zone. Remember at one point, I'm riding back with one of the guys that had been at a retreat at Glen Rose. And so um, I'm, I'm driving back, and he's my ride. And he's asking me these really uncomfortable questions. He's like, you know, so... Tell me about your walk with Christ. <laughs> and I was like, uh, pleasant? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to say. But I was stepping out of my comfort zone. I was doing all these things with the belief that something was happening. They did this horrible thing at this church. I'll never forget it. It mortified me. Every single time we gathered together for worship, they would start passing baskets for money. Have you ever heard of such a thing? They would start doing, they would, just, they would just pass a basket to like everybody. Like I'm, I'm 25 year old, I'm barely employed. They would pass the basket to me. And so I would, I would give them like a leave me alone 20 every four weeks. And I was like, we're good. They started talking about what it is to actually live with God at the foundation of everything you have and with all the resources that you have. And so I don't know why, but I started to look at my income through the lens of percentages, and I started to make a percentage gift, the biggest gift that I could make. I was making $30,000 a year at the time, so it was like 3%, but I was doing that faithfully. It was a lot to me, and then I got a raise to $40,000 a year, became a full-time employee, and at that point, I was able to actually start tithing, giving 10% on—I had student debt. I had medical debt. Like, I needed that money, but I wanted to see if something would happen. I wanted to see if something would happen. I'll sing— I'll sing loud, and I'll sing clear. I want to see if something happens. Okay, I'll read Scripture. Okay, I'll study it. Okay, I'll make space for it in my life. I want to see if something happens. Okay, I'll pray for myself, for others. I'll organize my life that way. I want to see if something happens. I'll go on a men's retreat. I'll actually join with people. I'll, I'll be in part of conversations like this. I want to see if something happens. On the way home from the retreat, a couple guys invited me. They said, we've got a small group. We want to invite you to be a part of our small group. In my head, I said, that sounds terrible. And to them, I said, sure. I would love to be a part of your men's small group. And they said, no problem. It's at the church in Wesley Hall. We can't wait to see you. We meet at 6.30 a.m. And I went, no, <laughs> no, no. But I went. I wanted to see if something happened. Over the course of a year, I, want, I cannot emphasize this enough, I didn't have a strong faith before I did any of these things. I didn't believe into any of all of them. I didn't wait to become a rock-solid Christian who could perfectly affirm the Apostles' Creed. I was Jesus-curious at best. I lived my life this way, and I am so lucky because I stumbled into something that transformed the faith like a sapling into a faith like an oak tree. That's what I want to talk about today. We're in a series of wisdom literature readings called Words from the Wise. The books of wisdom are in the Hebrew Bible, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, Song of Solomon. And we've been focusing not just on the Proverbs themselves, but on the entire idea of the wisdom tradition that surrounds them. In the week one, we talked about how 
The fear of the Lord is the root of all knowledge. That just means recognizing that God is God as you are not. It just means humility. It just means having the humility to say, I have so much yet to learn. No matter what age I am, no matter how accomplished I am, no matter what I've done right, no matter how I've messed up, I still have so much yet to learn. It's all about humility. When wisdom is personified in the wisdom literature, she's called Lady Wisdom. She's giving a female literary voice, and she makes it clear that she is not hard to find. She is not doling out secrets just to the people who are searching and plumbing the depths of life. I am walking down the center of the road, she says, calling out what everybody needs to hear. Your issue is just listening to me instead of all the noise around you. And even more so, she says, this life that I'm telling you, it's simple. It's loving God, as Jesus would summarize later, with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and treating your neighbor as exactly as you would have them treat you. In fact, it's so simple, we tend to not trust it. We're looking for this one weird trick, this one perfect church, this one unique preacher, this one special practice, this one incredible journaling exercise, this one amazing prayer, this one secret trick that will transform our lives when the truth is this is the simple path and it works for everyone. Something can happen, though, when we actually start reading the Bible. And it happens, I think, when we start to read pieces like these Proverbs selections. We read just 12 verses today. Any random selection of verses can begin. And Proverbs 12 going forward, it's a lot like this. It's instructions. It's reflections, it's recognition for what makes a good life. You see already in there, there's a lot in it. There's things like working hard, there's things like diligence, there's things like making sure that uh, your child doesn't sleep during harvest. I've been way guilty of that. I'm sleeping during harvest all the time. It talks about the life of blessing that's made possible by people living in certain ways. But when you start to read all of this, it can become another list of things that you're not doing well enough. How many of us right now could fill a piece of paper with all the things we're getting wrong, with all the ways we're falling short, with all the ways in which we're not the husband that we could be, the father that we could be, the friend that we could be, the mother that we could be, the child that we could be, the employee that we could be, the teacher that we could be, the Christian that we could be. The list of all the things that we should be doing better can drive us to the ground. And as much as the wisdom literature is meant to encourage us and to guide us and to support us, if we don't have a framework of understanding how lives are actually changed, then it just moves from being good advice to bad news. How do we hear this as good news? That's what I want to talk about today. Doing something a little bit different than how I would normally treat a scripture like this. Instead of just unpacking these Proverbs, I believe they speak for themselves, I want to instead deliver a message in the spirit of Proverbs. The spirit of Proverbs is all about trying to help you understand what you can do, how you can live to affect real change. What I want to make sure that everybody walks out the door with today is an understanding of how you can experience transformation and growth in your spiritual life how you can come back one year from today, 
and your ability to trust in the promises of God has grown. Your ability to find comfort in the love of God has grown. Your ability to overlook the differences that exist between you and everybody else and to honestly dwell in the commonalities more easily has grown. You can do that. It can happen. And that's what I want to share. So, we're, uh, we're Methodists. Has anybody told you that? Do I talk about that enough? I hope none of y'all were looking for Lutherans and found us today. If so, we'll sing a mighty fortress is our God. You'll feel fine. Uh, <laughs> That's one for the Lutherans today, guys. <laughs> we're Methodists. What does that mean? What does that mean? I would love for you to be able to talk to a friend of yours, a family member of yours, someone who doesn't have an innate familiarity with the Christian family tree and all of its commonalities and all of its differences and explain, well, what is a Methodist? What is a Methodist? There's going to be people in your life that say, okay, I know non-denominational people. I know Southern Baptist people. I know uh, Lutheran people. I know Presbyterian people. All these different portions of the Christian family tree. You're a Methodist. What's the method? What's the method? The truth is we have a method. It's been the same method ever since the early 1700s. It's the portion that unites us as this branch of the Christian family tree. We do things one way. We have since the 1700s. We did it at the little United Methodist Church down the street from your grandmama's house. We do it in this United Methodist Church and every other one that's in our community. We have one way of making disciples that makes us Methodists, and it's this. We connect people into community. We help break down the barriers that say you're just an individual person traveling through this life, making your own consumption decisions. And instead, we help you find other people with whom you can do life. This happens in things like Sunday school classes and grace groups and Bible studies and service opportunities. But if you will just let us, we will help you discover the people that you were meant to go through life with. We connect people into real community. Sometimes communities united by things that we have in common. Sometimes communities that are made beautiful because of how we are so, so different. But we connect you into community. That's core to the method of Methodism. That was true 300 years ago. It was true 100 years ago. It's true 300 years from now. That's our method. And we don't just connect you for the sake of connection. We do so for a purpose. Something's going to happen inside of and because of that community. We connect you into community so that through Healthy Plate Discipleship, which is just our church's way of discussing something that we call the means of grace, something will happen for you and in you and through you. You will experience spiritual growth and transformation in your life, and it will be a blessing to you, to your children, to your spouse, to your parents, to your neighbors, to your community, to your world. We're Methodists. What's the method? We connect you into community. That's why they were always asking me to come to stuff, right? And it wasn't because if they just had one more person in their Bible study, they got a toaster oven or something. <laughs> they were inviting me for my sake. Lance, this is how you can have what you're looking for. 
And they were inviting me to all of these practices because these are the means of grace, the channels through which Christ is trying to reach you every single day. We're trying to teach you how to tune in, to hear, and to be changed because Christ's grace is real and His power is present and the difficulty is not making it happen. The difficulty is you opening your arms to receive it. And when you do, something will change. I grew up in a family that always had a backyard garden. It's my dad's thing, really. Always had a backyard garden. No matter how busy he was, no matter how much he was traveling around the country for his job, he always tended to a small background garden. And there's two things that he always grew, no matter what. Heirloom tomatoes and hot, hot peppers. We got any of y'all in the room? Heirloom tomatoes and hot, hot peppers. Now, I'm not an expert gardener because I don't go outside much. But what I know of gardening is this. You need to make sure the soil is right for whatever it is that you're trying to grow. You need to plant your seed and you need to tend to it. You need to make sure that it's placed in a situation where it gets the right amount of sun. That's not too hard to figure out. It needs to be put in an environment where it gets the right amount of water. That's not too hard to learn. For some of these plants, you need to give them some support because they're going to need to climb. They need to be able to get off the ground. But not my dad or any master gardener in this room or even Neil Sperry, if he's here, is actually capable of making that seed grow. Not one person anywhere ever has ever been capable of making that seed grow. They can tend to the environment. They can make sure that it's open to receive what it needs, but not one person can make that change. If you talk to any saint, any person who has the kind of faith that you're hoping to have in your life at some point, not one person anywhere, at any time, any context, not one person who is from the United Methodist tradition, the Eastern Orthodox tradition, the Roman Catholic tradition, not one person who's ever experienced a life transformed by grace will tell you that it happened because they worked so darn hard for it. It happened because they opened their life to the grace of Christ, and Christ did the growing. We connect people in the community so that through healthy plate discipleship, you will experience spiritual growth and transformation. And all of those things that you read about in Proverbs and all of these descriptions of the good life is no longer a list of things that should be different for you, but it's a description of the life that is possible for you. Healthy plate discipleship is simple. We break it down in simple ways. And these are the same means of grace through which Christ has used for thousands of years. It was exactly the same as it was in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago as it is in Fort Worth today. Worship is not just the act of coming and sitting on Fifth Street or participating in a service online. Worship is the act of proclaiming that this thing, this faith, this hope, this trust is the root and the foundation of my life. If you're not careful, you'll end up worshiping something by accident. You'll end up worshiping your career, or you'll worship your bank account, or you'll worship your spouse, or you'll worship your child, or you'll worship your college football team. At some point, you'll unintentionally say, this is the thing on which I'm relying more than anything else. When everything else falls apart, this is the thing that gives my life meaning and purpose. And if it's not Christ, it's not strong enough. 
Worship is the act of saying Christ is the root and the center of my life. We do it together and we do it on our own. And we don't just worship, we pray. Prayer is a conversation with God. It's speaking and it's listening. For years, I've taught people to learn how to begin to pray by, as they're driving to work, turning off the radio, and speaking to Jesus in the passenger seat, sharing with him your hopes and fears, your doubts, your concerns, your desires, and then taking the time to listen. That's all prayer is, opening up your heart and pouring out to the God who wants more than anything else to hear you and then listening to what he has to say in return. Driving to work is the perfect place to do it. And then y'all all started working from home. <laughs> and now I don't know what to teach. Open a Zoom room for two, I don't know, I'm workshopping it. We play, we enjoy the good life because the truth is this life, your life is not a trial to be endured. Regardless of illness, regardless of difficulty, regardless of suffering of people that you love, regardless of hardship and unfairness and all of that being true, you were still created and called good by God. And so were your children, so were your neighbors, so were your friends. Your hobbies are good. This creation is good. You are meant to enjoy it. In addition to worship and praying and playing, we give. We put God first with everything we have. Everything that we have. Our time, our energy, our resources. As someone who's made it a point to tithe for now the vast majority of his adulthood, the greatest difference that it's made is not just in the lives of other people and not just the ministries that it's supported or made possible. The biggest difference it's made is in me. Because money can't control me. When my first orientation towards it is figuring out whom can I bless with this? What can God do with this? Whom is it for? The biggest change is that it's made in me. We serve. We show up as the hands and feet of Christ for the people who need it, yes. For the people who need to see the church in action, yes. For the people who need to experience love in action, yes, but also for ourselves. Because when we get a chance to serve, we get a chance to taste and touch and feel and know the work of Christ that is happening not only in this world, but through us, our own hands. Christ is here, and we are changed by it. And we take time to actually learn, to actually study, to dive deep into God's story and realizing that this great ark of a God who is Trinity and community, who breathes creation into existence because it pleases God to do so, who makes creation free for the purposes of loving God in return, who experiences fallenness and sin, but then through Christ's redemption and restoration, who's able to experience salvation, not only here, but in the life eternal. The story hangs together and it makes sense and it works. We worship and we pray and we play. We give and we serve and we learn. And every single one of those steps is opening our heart bit by bit to the power and the presence and the work and the grace of God that is transforming us if we will just let him. We have a little kitchen island and a little bar in our kitchen. And last Sunday, about five o'clock, my wife was sitting at the bar. I was at the island and she just kind of like, she hits the bar and she goes, oh, I figured out what was wrong with your sermon today. <laughs> and I said, great. <laughs> and she said, Lance, the problem with your sermon 
was that you were pointing out how this is the way. Like, this is the way. It's simple. This is how Christ communicated you experience change. And it's so simple that we have a hard time trusting it when we're instead looking for that one weird trick. And she says, the way is simple. But what happens is when you do it, when you organize your life this way, when you make so much space for Christ to transform you, you'll start to think, I must have figured out some one weird trick because this is incredible. And I said, well, I'll tell him next week. <laughs> Let's pray. Great and loving God, great are you and greatly to be praised. Today we praise you for your presence and your work through Christ. Lord, when we hear these Proverbs, help them not just be a list of things that we should be doing. Help them move from good advice to good news because, Lord, everything that's happening is made possible through your presence, through your power, through your grace. Lord, help us to open up our hearts and our lives. Help us tune to the channels of your goodness. Help us make space in new ways, not for its own sake, but so that in doing so, we may be brought closer to you. In all of this, we pray in love and trust and hope, following your son, Jesus, and praying the words that he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.